Good morning. I hope that uh, this past week uh, God had good news for you. I went to the uh, Larry Crabb conference yesterday, and I happened to see many of you folks there. And Larry really did uh, challenge us all, both men and women, to authentic manhood. I must admit, though, I was a little disappointed that Dr. Crabb did not, at some point in that seminar, mention anything about real men and authentic men driving four-wheel drives, (laughs) gun racks, testosterone levels. It's going to take several months for me to convince my wife that... uh, that Larry really intended to discuss those things, but he just ran out of time. (laughs) Speaking of time, would you uh, turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 1? We do not want to run out of time this morning to hear God's good news. Last week, uh, Jackson introduced us this uh, marvelous, wonderful gospel, according to Dr. Luke. And in these opening paragraphs, what we uh, discover, uh, especially in chapter 1, is we are going to see two major historical events unfold. First of all, we see the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist, and second, we see the foretelling of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is what we're going to discuss today. But you know, as I uh, pondered and read and reread this familiar uh, story, what a wonderful story, story that uh, as I look around, as I was thinking this morning, talking to Dorothy down here, some of you older saints have read this year after year. You, you, you've just been bathed in this passage, and there's just so many wonderful truths. But as I reread it, I could not uh, help but believe that it was by no accident that Dr. Luke wanted us to make some comparisons as well as some contrast between the responses of Zechariah and the message that he received from the angel Gabriel as well as the response that this young teenage girl, Mary, uh, and the response that she had regarding a very similar message. Now we're told in the first verses, as Jackson shared with us last week, that Zechariah and Elizabeth were living in the hill country of Judea when Zechariah, because he was from the line of Aaron, he was a priest, his time for serving in the temple, his lot had been drawn, had been chosen. So he entered the temple to carry out the responsibilities, the privileges that he had been so trained for for many years. And all of a sudden, this Gabriel, this angel, one of only two angels mentioned in all of scriptures uh, by name, and and Gabriel tells Zechariah, gives him a promise that comes from God, a message from God, that Zechariah's long-awaited prayer that he and Elizabeth had been praying year after year to conceive, to have a child would soon come to pass. Look at verse 19 with me, would you, real quick? I am Gabriel, says the angel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this, this what? Good news. Now, the reason I point out this verse is to make a point. And that is that when God speaks to his people, he has a message. He has good news. For you and I. He wants us to not only hear it, we don't always understand it, do we? As Zechariah did not understand. But he wants us to trust him. He wants us to take him at his word and apply it to our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but I have not yet met any 20th century believer 
who has had an experience like this, where an angel has come to them, presented God's message to them, and that was it. Now, it's not to say that God couldn't or wouldn't do such a thing today. He's perfectly capable of doing that. He's a big God. But I haven't met anyone that has had that experience. But let me tell you what I do know, and I know that you know this as well. I know hundreds, literally thousands of believers. And as as I say that, I look around this room and I see hundreds of faces of believers that have had the opportunity, when you open God's Word, to have a message of good news revealed to you. Now, my point is this. What we do with God's good news, His message, His Word to us, will have one of two effects. It will either silence us or it will submit us to God's plan for our lives. So if you're taking notes, uh, not that I'm big on outlining, uh, but uh, you might put down the two S's here, to be silenced or to be submitted to God's plan for your life. Now, to examine that thought, to examine that principle, what I want to do is I want to back up. It's going to be a little bit of review, so if you weren't here last week and you missed out on the first opening verses of this chapter, we'll cover them today. But I want you to do this. I want you to think about the comparisons and the contrast that you see between Zachariah's response and Mary's response. Think about those, and then we will discuss those to understand how God's Word sometimes either silences us or causes us to be submitted to His plan. Let's pick up the action in verse 11. Then an angel, that is the angel Gabriel, of the Lord appeared to him, that is Zechariah. The angel was standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. Now listen very carefully to this, verse 14. He, that is John the Baptist, will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Go down to verse 18 for Zechariah's response. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. That, in a nutshell, is Zachariah's response. Now let's compare that to the response of Mary. Pick up the action in verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Now six months, I I think what the author has in mind here, based on verse 56, if you jump over to verse 56, it says Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. I believe the six months there refers to uh, the, the time of conception of Elizabeth, okay? Not the sixth month of the year, but in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now notice Mary's response. How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary's response, what a beautiful response from this young teenage lady. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. There are many comparisons and contrasts in the lives of these two. We know that uh, Zachariah was from the line of Aaron, a priestly line. Both these people were from very important bloodlines, weren't they? Mary, if you go back and read Matthew 1 from the line of David, both followers of Yahweh, both received a message from God, a wonderful message. But it was a message that startled, brought fear and trembling into both of their lives. Both were given a message that they would conceive baby boys. Now, obviously, there is some contrast here in that Zechariah and Elizabeth still had the tools, the instruments for procreation, even at such an old age. But the miracle was one of the Spirit opening up a barren, empty womb. And Mary receiving the, the announcement of a miraculous conception. Both pregnancies were considered an impossibility. Uh, both had questions regarding the angel Gabriel's message, didn't they? Both were servants. Zachariah, vocationally, so to speak, as a priest. Lovely teenager Mary as a volunteer. And the outcome, whether it was voluntary or involuntary, was that they were both used by God, weren't they? What are some of the contrasts? I'm going to run out of screen. Uh... Zachariah, you know, was, was highly esteemed in his community as a priest. Mary was about to become a housewife, a mother. Uh, a common position, unfortunately, even in our day, but it should be held at the same level as Zachariah's. Zachariah was older, more experienced, wiser. Mary was a teenager. For those of you who have raised teenagers, what more needs to be said? <laughs> Tina and Bob, I say that because I knew you two were sitting right there. I got a couple of friends down here. Zachariah, because of his esteemed position, was well respected by his peers upon the news of this pregnancy. What would be thought of, of her? An illegitimacy of, of some nature, possibly. Risking being ridiculed, scorned by all. Zachariah and Elizabeth had been prayerfully waiting for years for God to bless them with a child. Mary was making wedding plans with little Joe. Zachariah did not take God at his word, but Mary believed God, accepted God's word. Now let me ask you this, based on those comparisons and contrasts, Who would you have selected 
who would you have chosen? Uh, which person would it have been that would have demonstrated the faith that was required upon hearing this announcement of God's good news and message? Would it be Mary? A young, possibly impulsive, natured teenager that is so often demonstrated by adolescence? Or would it have been Zachariah, the older, more experienced, wise sage of the community? Well, obviously, Zachariah would get the nod, wouldn't he? Uh, Folks, that's the, the, the wonderful, beautiful twist to this story, is that it's not age, it's not wisdom necessarily, that was a determining factor. Now, there's much to be learned from this passage regarding Mary's belief and Zachariah's distrust or disbelief, but what I want us to concentrate is what I mentioned earlier, that when God's message comes to his people, it will cause one of two reactions. Now, I know that there are, are far more reactions in Scripture than just this, but in the context of what we're reading today, there are two reactions that I see. Maybe you see more. The first is that we either silence a person or it will submit us to his plan for his life. Now, why did God's good news silence Zechariah? Well, verse 20 gives us the answer, doesn't it? The angel Gabriel says, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day that this happens because you did not, what? Believe my words. You see, it was Zechariah's unbelief, his distrust that silenced him. And this silencing was a literal, physical impairment of his speech. Now, not many of us have been struck mute over our disbelief, but can you just imagine with me for a moment what that would look like in the 20th century church? The impact, the, the, uh, the dynamics of, of that, the, the uh, complexion of how that would change our faith if all of a sudden God decided to strike people silent because of our disbelief. Here's what it would look like. I'm going to pick on Chris Riedel this morning. We would see Chris walking around the halls uh, during the, the week at church here, and somebody would say, what's the matter with Chris? He's speechless. And I, and somebody would, re- would respond, well, I, I guess he's mute because he does not believe what he's been teaching. <laughs> well, it's probably good that God does not expose our unbelief that dramatically. But just how does God, uh, God's word silence us from time to time? I've never been one to... Uh, think of, you know, an outline in the three D's of disbelief or the three S's for sanctification. But I was walking home the other day, and this doesn't happen very often. I have to think that it's a God thing because it's definitely not for me. But uh, I'm walking home and it's as if God gives me the three R's of unbelief. And, and, and they are resist. I can't even remember now. They're, they're resist, react, and remove. Now let me just share with you what I'm, kind of the flow of thought that I'm taking here with these uh, two responses. First, we resist God's message, His truth, His good news for us, His plan for our lives when we do not take Him at His word. Now, look at the life of Zechariah for just a moment here. You know, I believe this, this elderly gentleman really wanted to believe, but like most of us, what did he want? He wanted a sign. He wanted some proof. Now, now can we be sure of that? Is this really the, 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 the context of the passage? Well, verse 18 says, in the NIV translation, says, How can I be sure of this? And at first reading, that seems rather innocent, doesn't it? But the literal translation is the following. By what shall I know this? 
Eugene Peterson, in uh, his paraphrase, the message, I think, uh, because of his scholarly approach to the languages, is right on target. Look at how, listen to how uh, Peterson paraphrases this. He says, Zacharias said to the angel, do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man and my wife is an old woman. You see, Zachariah, even though I think he wanted to believe, even though he had been praying, asked that question with tremendous doubt and disbelief. It was if, as if he was saying to Gabe, take a look at Liz and me. We're not a couple of spring chickens here. We may have all the parts for procreation, but to be quite honest with you, I'm not sure when the last time it was we had physical intimacy. We're way beyond childbirth here, Gabe. Do you really know what you're talking about? And Gabriel's response in verse 20 was to silence him because of his disbelief. You see, Zachariah chose to walk by sight rather than by faith. He forgot. Now listen to this very carefully. This is not from me. This is from Don Hudson and Larry Crabb, some work they've done. Zachariah forgot to remember. Does that make sense? Yeah. Zachariah forgot to remember what God had promised his fathers, his forefathers, the patriarchs. Zachariah forgot to remember what God did through those promises. He forgot to remember stories like Abraham and Sarah and how they in their old age conceived and gave birth. And see what happens when we forget to remember our past, we resist God's truth and message for the present. And when we forget God's message for the present, we no longer have hope for what? The future, folks. For example, in my own life, you know, I experienced this attitude of resisting God's message. Several years ago, I bumped in, this is when I was really young, like 35. I bumped into to Jerry Burt. I always like to pick on Jerry, one of our elders, because at the time he seemed so much older than me. Uh, and, and as I was, I was talking to Jerry, he, he reminded me that as he got older, I think he may have just turned 40-something, <laughs> and he said that every year that goes by, another piece of the anatomy seems to break down. And it was his shoulder this year, you know, and next year, who knew what it was going to be? Uh, a few years prior to that, we took Jerry, he brought snowmobiles up to senior high camp, and we tried to destroy both of his knees. We did a good, good job on one of them, and so Jerry now had a bad knee, and now a bad shoulder. Well, what I've learned as I've gotten older is that because my body lives in this fallen structure, this tent that's only temporary, it's not meant to last forever, but there are days when I want it to, when I work hard at making it look good, working out, trying to pre preserve whatever life is left there. But what I've learned is that, you know, Jerry's right, and I need to listen to it, but it wasn't Jerry's words, it's God's words, see? Second Corinthians 4.16 says, Don't lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Has your body, whether you're young or old, been racked with pain, disease, discomfort, disabilities? And I know that you dear saintly senior citizens, I say this with great respect, you know better what I'm talking about. You know better than all of us in this room because as, you, as the aged process goes on, you break down. 
wear out. But don't resist the message that God has for you. Your inward man and woman is being restored. Singles, God has a message for you in 1 Corinthians 7. Is he calling you to singleness? Well, stay there until he calls you otherwise. Are you resisting that message? Young people, maybe you're not so young. Are you involved in a dating relationship with a non-believer? And somehow you've become romantically attached to that person. And now you're considering marriage. Well, what does 2 Corinthians 6 say about that? The message, the promise, the plan for your life is do not be unequally yoked with a non-believer because what does what fellowship can light have with darkness? What does righteousness have to do with wickedness? It's not saying that that person that you are dating is bad. It's just that it's, it's not part of God's plan for your life. Parents, are you exasperating your children? Husbands, are you working towards being authentic men that move out of silence and move into action in your relationships with your wives, just as Christ loved his bride, the church. Elders, are you resisting the tremendous calling of 1 Timothy 3? And even though we are in transition right now, seeking a senior pastor, are you moving ahead? You are the dreamers and the thinkers that God has, has called to this church. Are you resisting moving ahead, even though we're in this transition? Let me pick on pastors, pastors, shepherds, Sunday school teachers. Are you and I maintaining the purity for which God has called us to? That's God's message for us. Are we striving to shepherd the people that God has called? Or do we remove ourselves and get behind this podium and never spend time with those that he's called us to shepherd? Do we resist God's truth and his plans for our life? Well, not taking God as word leads to this resistance. And this resistance leads to the second hour, which I have given, which the Spirit, I believe, has given to me, uh, the word reaction. When we distrust God, when we don't take God at His word, we react with an attitude of self-dependence rather than God-dependence. You see, Zechariah wanted proof, didn't he? And until he received that proof, it was very difficult. He was unwilling to depend on God. Abraham also demonstrates this reactive nature when he was promised that he would be a great nation who would receive an offspring like the what? Like the dust of the earth. But what did Abe do? Genesis 16, he took Hagar, the maidservant, and he began to be self-reliant and start a family on his own. Now, man, I know you'd love to blame Sarah and say, Dennis, if you read the passage carefully, Sarah encouraged him to do it. But after hearing Dr. Crabb yesterday, man, what we need to do is say, Sarah, no. Um, I realize that this inability to conceive is a disappointment to each of us, but I will not try to preserve the future uh, by entering into this relationship with Hagar. And you, you know, who was Hagar's firstborn Ishmael. What was Ishmael called? A wild donkey of a man who became the nation of Arab, the father of the nation of the Arabs. And you know the, the problems that, that that has created for those people. God even reminded Abraham in chapter 17 that a son would be born to him and who? To Sarah. And what did Abraham do? It's, he rolled on the ground with hysteric laughter. Now, I don't know about you, but I tend to be the same way when God 
speaks to me, when I read his message, if I don't have visible proof from time to time that God is still active in my life, I become self-reliant rather than God-reliant. I want to take over the reins of my life. I want to call the shots. And this disbelief of resisting God's word causes me to react by trusting my own intuition that I can make better decisions and plans for my life. The second R leads to the third R, which is we remove ourselves from serving God and others. Now, both Zach and Mary were given some tremendously good news from God, and that good news was to be what? It was to be shared with others. But due to Zachariah's disbelief, he was silenced. And instead of being able to share with others the great joy, the good news that he was bringing into his life, as well as into the life to the nation of Israel, he was temporarily removed from sharing that good news. Now, notice I use the word temporarily because in two weeks after the missions conference, we're going to get to see the rest of the story. And the rest of the story with Zechariah is that they bring this baby boy to be circumcised. And all the people gather around. They say, well, what are we going to name this little boy? And Elizabeth says, we will name him John. And there's quite an uproar. You remember the story. They say, well, let's, there, there's never been anybody by the name of John in your family. Let's go to Zechariah and get this thing straightened out. We'll go to the head of the house. So they go to Zachariah, and what does Zach do? Well, he kind of pantomimes emotions for a writing tablet, and he writes down, this son's name will be John, and it was at that moment's moment that his silence was released, that he was now able to, to speak again. Fortunately for us and, and Zachariah as well, when we have been silenced by God's message or good news, God can continue to carry out the fulfillment of that good news despite our unbelief. Now, God's silencing process allowed, I believe, Zechariah, time for reflection and remembrance. Remember that I said earlier that Zechariah forgot to remember? The silencing process, folks, in our lives allows us reflective time to be alone, to remember who God is and what He is capable of doing in our lives and what His plan is for our life. Peter, remember, is called the rock. He spoke out in defense of the Lord. And he said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you even to prison or to death. But do you remember what happened that same afternoon? He denied the Lord Jesus three times. What happened? Well, I think that part of Peter's faith and belief and lack of trust, trust caused him to deny even knowing Jesus, which silenced him temporarily. You remember the story. Jesus goes off to the cross the disciples go hide. Jesus is crucified. He's buried. He's resurrected. Where's Peter at? He's back fishing. He's removed himself from ministry opportunities, I think, because he, he was silenced because of his distrust, but only temporarily. What a beautiful picture we have. Peter in a boat fishing, and he sees Jesus. At the time, he didn't recognize it was Jesus. But some man on the, on, on the sandy beach, and this man speaks out to Peter. And what does Peter remember? He remembers the voice of the Lord because he heard it before. He dives in the water, and he had been reinstated, really, to serving because of that silencing process. Temporarily, it allowed him to reflect and remember. Now, let's take a, a brief look at, at the life of Mary. 
in the closing minutes. Even though Mary was startled by the angel Gabriel, even though she questioned how could this be because of her virginity, uh, there was still something very different about the way she responded. First of all, as we compared and contrasted, we, we noticed that she was a teenage, a young teenage gal. And I believe that because she was a teenager, she maintained what our Lord called in Luke 18, a childlike faith. Now, as I have grown older, the upside of growing older is that, that I do have a longer history with God to see how He is faithful. But the downside to growing older is that I also have a lot more practice at being self-dependent, self-reliant. Do you see that? And Zachariah somehow in his age had lost the ability that Mary had in her youthfulness to take God at his word. Uh, children are like that, aren't they? Chris Appleby, one of my friends, just had a baby boy, and I was watching him play with this little boy the other day, and he would toss this little boy up in the air, and the boy would giggle. He would, you know, we've all done this with our kids when they were little. I used to grab my boys and swing them around by their legs, you know, thinking that they'd be six, seven, or eight if I just swung them hard enough, you know, elongated, play some NBA basketball or something, support dad. But uh, my kids would come back and say, do it again, do it again. Well, why? Well, they had this childlike faith because they remembered the last time I swung them around, I didn't drop them on their head. Mary, even though she was startled, perplexed by the message God had for her, was willing to accept this miraculous birth because she responded to this message as a child would respond to a loving father. Several years ago, we took... Matter of fact, Bill Moss was on this trip with, I, I believe, Tracy Hetz and Joe Winchell. And we took a group of students back into the Allison Ranch for a work service project. The Allison Ranch is owned by uh, uh, Harold and Phyllis Thomas, and they use that ranch as a ministry opportunity to serve missionaries on leave. We went in there to extend the runway and just work their tails off. These, these young teenagers had a great time. Well, while we were in there, uh, I just couldn't resist explaining to these young students what snipe hunting was all about. <laughs> yeah, you see where I'm going with this, don't you? For those of you that haven't heard about snipes, there are no such creatures as snipes. But I told the, uh, the, the high schoolers that this is great snipe country, and uh, the way you hunt snipes is you wait till you know, there's no moon, and you go out at night, late at night, with a flashlight, and uh, with sticks and pans and gunny sacks, and you run around, and I, I even got down to the detail what snipes look like. You know, little brown furry creatures, and they run around on four legs. And the, the only way you could capture them is you had to flash that, that beam of light from the flashlight into their eyes, and it would paralyze them just long enough that you could reach down and grab them. So we could not resist the temptation of the leaders. We, we got all prepared for this one night. We sent them out, and we went snipe hunting. And it was wild, folks. I mean, you... We just sat down on a log and kids were out there banging and flashlights were all over the forest. And E.J. Pettinger and I at one time, we even, we even pretended like we caught one. We had one in a gunny sack and we were, we were doing this. We got everybody around and I said, E.J., open it up slow and I'll, we'll take a look at him. And this E.J. started opening up. We all screamed and jumped back and the girls screamed and jumped back because they believed they had faith in. <laughs> I know some of your parents are looking at me and you're saying, you mean to say we entrusted our kids in the life of this man? Well, I tell this simple story to illustrate childlike faith. Now, let me, let me just 
expand on it just a bit, little bit. Mary's faith was not blind faith like these unsuspecting teenagers that I had so much fun with. And we're not going to take time to examine all of this wonderful song that we call the Magnificat, but look at it with me for just a minute because it really tells us a lot more about Mary's faith. As you read carefully this song, you will notice that it is a passage that is saturated with Old Testament verses. There are 12 Old Testament passages that are reflected line by line in this uh, song. And that's not to mention that Mary also had some understanding of Hannah's song from 1 Samuel 2. Look at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. If you go over to Habakkuk 3.18, which we won't do, you will see that it, that is uh, comparable to that, that line of prose from Habakkuk. That Habakkuk, who came through his trials, rejoiced in God his Savior. Can you imagine a message to a teenage girl that you are pregnant with the Holy Spirit? And she rejoices in God her Savior. Verse 48, For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. As you read, Psalm 138.6 says, For the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly. You see what Mary's doing here? She's not, she didn't sit down with pen in hand and write some warm, fuzzy lullaby, although there would have been nothing wrong with that. But she sits down and writes uh, what she knows about the character and nature and trustworthiness and the promises that God has given her. And as we continue to read through this, which we won't take time to do at all, you'll notice that, this, that, that verse 49, uh, For the Mighty One has done great things for me, holy is His name, is a compilation of uh, Psalm 71, verse 19 and Psalm 111, 9. Verse 50, His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. Another promise, right from Exodus chapter uh, 20, verse 6. You see, Mary was a teenager who understood the nature of God, his character, his power. And because she had some understanding of Scripture, whether it was oral transmission or the reading of Scripture herself, she knew that she could trust this God. She understood what the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 1 says, that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You see, Mary's knowledge of Scripture allowed her to take God at His word. She knew that there was a Messiah to be born. She knew that that was the hope of Israel. She may not have fully understood how it would come about. That's why she asked the question, how can it be? But you know, she didn't ask why. Why, Lord, are you doing this to me? She didn't ask for a sign like I believe Zachariah did. But what she did respond to was the who behind the plan. It was this understanding of who God is, his character, his nature, his abilities that told her she could trust him. Well, the same can be true for us today if we respond like Mary. Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. You want to have the same kind of faith that Mary had versus Zacharias? Well, it comes by reading God's Word. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's not a sign, although it could be those. But more often, it's just simply reading God's Word, getting getting intimately involved in who He is and what He is capable of doing. It is remembering your past. 
what God has done for you that will get you through this present day and give you a hope for tomorrow. I read this quote last week. It says, The degree of faith that one places in a given object is directly proportional to one's knowledge of the object. For example, it's, it's like you are terrified of flying. You've read what happens to planes that crash going 400 miles an hour. And you are terrified of flying, but you need to fly. Your destination is far enough away, so you go to the airport. What do you do? Well, you purchase a ticket, but maybe you purchase lots of insurance, too. And then you get on the plane and you buckle your seatbelt a half an hour before the seatbelt sign even comes on. Because you are terrified. You listen carefully to the emergency instructions that the stewardess give you while other people who have flown before ignore it and read their pamphlets and magazines and books. You have very little faith in the ability of this plane to get you where you need to go. But as the journey progresses, you begin to change. You loosen your seatbelt, maybe even take it off. Uh, a young man or young lady comes down the aisle with some drinks and food, and, and so you are enticed and you eat lunch. Next thing you know, you're, you're talking with your neighbor and you're joking and you're laughing and you're starting to really relax and enjoy the flight. Well, well why the change? What happened? Is there more faith at 36,000 feet than on the ground? Not really, folks. But what's happened is as the plane continues on its destination, the more you understand about that object of faith, that is the plane, the more faith you can exercise in that object. And it's the same way with our understanding as believers who God is and what He is capable of doing. You know, Mary had to have been puzzled by this tremendous message that God gave her, but she refused to respond to what I call the three R's. She, she didn't resist God's word, but she took it at face value. She chose to be God-dependent rather than self-dependent. And instead of removing herself from ministry opportunities, she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And when that took place, notice verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Mary was blessed. And because Mary responded to the truth of God's message, she was a blessing to others. Don't you want to be a blessing to others? Well, I believe you do. That's why you're here this morning. That's why you're on this spiritual journey. That's why you're here studying God's word and listening to this worship and praise. And note ver- verse 45, it comes by believing that what God has said to you and me through his word will be accomplished. Folks, as you read God's word this next week, tonight, whenever... He's got a message of good news and hope for your life. Are you going to resist it? Or will you accept it? Will you react to it? Or will you allow yourself to be God-dependent? Will you remove yourself from ministry opportunities? Will it silence you? I hope not. And if it has silenced you, I hope and I pray and I believe it's only going to be temporary. Look out. Just like Zach, God's going to use this in your life. Let's pray. 
Father, as we uh, come to communion, we have such a wonderful opportunity once again to uh, hear the good news of what that whole celebration, the, the blood, the body that was broken for us, shed for us. Lord, help us in our unbelief to accept that, to trust that. For you use us in uh, the ministries that you've called us to. In Christ's name, amen.